We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com BE. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I'm your host, Jethro Jones, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. This episode is brought to you by John Cat Educational, a professional development publisher serving as the global leader in combining both research and practice in all materials. Find timely PD publications to support yourself and your faculty by visiting them online at us.johncatbookshop.com. Great instruction gets students engaged. TeachFX equips teachers with the instructional strategies and job-embedded feedback they need to get students engaged in virtual or in-person classes. Learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer at teachfx.com slash transformative principle. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I am very excited to have Dr. V, Dr. Vernita. Glenn White is a professor of empowerment and executive coaching and consulting. Dr. V, welcome to Transformative Principle. Thank you so much for having me, Jethro. I'm excited to be talking to you about our topic today, which we'll get into in just a moment. But one of the things that has been a highlight or a low light of 2020, depending on where you're sitting, is the racial unrest that we've been experiencing. And for a white person in this situation, it can sometimes be awkward and uncomfortable to uh, to have these conversations. So I'm just going to put this out there right now that there's a good possibility that I will say something inappropriate or bothersome or whatever, but I'm having the conversation because I personally want to be better and I've done a lot of work myself to help make things better for other people. So I'm sure we'll get into that, but Dr. V is here to talk about diversity and about anti-racist teaching. So let's just dive right in, Dr. V, and and tell us what do we need to know about um, diversity and anti-racist teaching right now? 
Well, I'm glad the first thing that you said was like, you may make some mistake, you may say something because you're learning and going through the work. And I think that's the first step. A lot of people don't even uh, attempt to have the conversation because they're so afraid to say something, but it goes both ways. We're all human. We're all going to say something. It's just a matter of what you do when you say it and what place you were in when you said it. You know, I like to give people the benefit of the doubt, especially during this work. I had to grow myself to that point and just take everything from a place of curiosity. So I think if that's a starting point, then that can break down some walls to have the conversation. So that's the first step is owning that you will make a mistake and to make sure what you say comes from a place of curiosity and understanding. Yeah, I think that's really important. You know, my my experience and, and what I've learned is that I think one of our major problems is that we judge people too quickly and judge people on the wrong things. And so, you know, a, a story I have to share about that is my oldest daughter has Down syndrome. And when she was born, my grandpa heard that she had Down syndrome and he said, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to put her in a home or what? And I was like, whoa, hold on, man. What are you talking about? Why would I put my child in a home? To him, that was what you did. You know, you put the kids up for adoption. You sent them off to an orphanage or something because they were just too burdensome to, to raise in your own home. And that was my, uh, I think, my first exposure to, to somebody saying that somebody else was less than. That's not how we grew up in my home, even though he's my grandpa. Like, we didn't, we didn't talk about that stuff. I didn't feel like we were, you know, judging others. But that situation made me realize that there are a lot of people out there who have experienced that kind of judgment of being less than. So can we start with that idea of how do we not judge people based on the color of their skin or what they can or can't do, their disabilities? How do we not judge people and wait to get to know them before we judge them? Well, there there are biases that we all have. And people who say I'm not biased, that that's a lie because we all have them. The first thing is understanding yourself and realize that there are subconscious things that are happening in your mind because of the environment that we've all been in, uh, whether it's media, something that you read, or just looking around your community. So there's always things that are seeping in, you know, that you're not aware of. Just like um, the example you gave, no one grew up talking about uh, people who have disabilities and how they were treated, but it was subconsciously something that was said in the atmosphere. So that's number one, recognizing that you are going to have a bias towards someone. It doesn't make you a bad person. So when I used to, when I do these trainings, um, I start with that. It's like, because I don't want anyone to feel like they're a bad person for having this thought. Now, after that, you have to do some self-work and turn inward and say, where did this thought come from? And sometimes you have to sit with yourself. Like, did you hear someone say it in a conversation? Did you hear a news story and it, you know, came into your mind? Like if you hear news stories all the time about crime rates and and areas that are labeled as low socioeconomics and you always hear that it's a, a, a black person or another person of color. If you hear that all the time and then when you come across of a black person or another person of color and you have this reaction Instead of feeling bad about yourself, it will say, you know what? I probably had this reaction because I listened to the news too much, you know, or that's my only interaction that I have with a black person or a person of color. So once you sit with that and say, okay, 
it's not a judgment on yourself. It's like, where is this coming from? Now, there are cases when you truly do feel that I think people of color or people who are who have disabilities or whatever the case may be, maybe something different or may cause you harm. That's a deeper issue, (laughs) you know, some self-work that you have to go through. But I think for like I said, I try to give people benefit, benefit of the doubt and say, let's start with where are you getting this from? And then we have the conversation about how to move forward, because you're going to have a bias no matter what, but it's how you manage that bias. And if you can move past it, like, you know, okay, I I hear, I felt that uh, people of color are dangerous only because of what I heard on the news. Let me put that in my pocket. So now when I come in contact with a person of color, I need to treat them like any other person and move that to the side. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. And and I think that 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 aspect of being able to analyze your thought process in the moment is is part of the challenge of you know we don't do that as you said there's so much of it that's that's subconscious that we're not really paying attention to it it just happens because of other things that we've experienced and and so what tips do you have for making those um assess making those assessments of your own thought in the moment how do we get better at doing that well, one thing is you have to want to get better. You know, um, just like you said, you've been doing the work. I am always in some kind of work of personal development, especially if I'm going to have conversations like this. So you have to want to do better and be understanding. The second part is, um, and it's not really in any particular order because it all depends on where you are. You have to put yourself in environments where you are interacting with different people. You know, it's one thing to sit uh, with yourself and have these thoughts, go through this reflective work, read all of the books that you can, opening up your mind. But the true test comes when you are in action and when you are in those encounters. So the more that you are around different people, and it it is not always about skin color, it can be about gender or people with disabilities or anything like that. The more you're around a different group of people, then that helps your comfort zone. Because a lot of times we are afraid or uh, we make these judgments out of fear and ignorance. You know, that's really the bottom line of a lot of these issues, fear and ignorance. So when you're around different people, then you can start putting that work to action. And then when something happens, you pause. I don't think we pause enough (laughs) when we are interacting. And it, it only takes a second for that. You know, you put your foot in your mouth. Well, I was introduced to neuro linguistic programming <laughs> and it's literally you find a place on your body and you pause like a finger or an ear or a thigh and you teach yourself to pause before you open your mouth. <laughs> and that's really what we have what we have to do when we're in uncomfortable situations. Yeah. And you know, uncomfortable situations can be really challenging to be in because it's hard to remember to do that when those things are happening. And um, my first year teaching, I was at a, uh, a inner city school in Midvale, Utah. And my first period of class had 42 kids in it. And you wouldn't really think of Midvale, Utah as that diverse, but there were two white people in there, me and one student. And after the class, the student came up to me and said, Mr. Jones, I just, I, I don't feel like I belong here. And I said, what are you talking about, man? You do belong here you're good, man. Don't worry. It's going to be fine. And he said, no, I'm the only white person in here. And I said, no, you're not. I'm in here. We're both white. It's okay. And he said, no, I'm just, I'm just not feeling like, like I can be in here. And, and I remember having that conversation with this boy who was a ninth grade boy and felt uncomfortable because he was in a different environment. 
And I will admit, because he was the minority in that classroom, these other kids, they were razzing him quite a bit and definitely pointed out that he and I were the only two white people. And, and it was a really interesting conversation because I, as a teacher, felt love for those kids right away. But I could see how he might not and how he might feel differently about it. And, and I wasn't perfect going in. I, I had biases that I, you know, were from my childhood and experiences that I had had and knowing about some of the gang affiliation in that area, which some of it later proved to be very true with some kids in that group. Um, so, you know, I was, I was concerned in, in a different way. I was concerned that these kids would ever actually listen to me. And, and so I worked really hard to try to understand who the kids were and where they were coming from and tried to do things that would make them understand that learning English was a worthwhile endeavor for them to do. And, and so I tried to, to, to be on the same level as them. In some areas, I was trying to go up to their level and in other areas, I was trying to go down. But I, I won't ever forget how that boy said, I don't belong here. And, and that feeling of belonging, I think that that is really unfortunate because I do believe that everybody does belong and that our diversity and, and how we're different is what makes us rich and unique. John Cat Educational supports high-quality teaching and learning by providing publications that are research-based, practical, and focused on the key topics proven essential in today's and tomorrow's schools. The latest John Cat publications include a book whose bold, transformative ideas amaze and infuriate people around the world, according to one reviewer, a title from Global Leaders in Curriculum Planning, Practice, and Retrieval, one book that says Stop Talking and Start Doing with regard to teacher well-being, and much more. These books, used by educators of all roles across North America and worldwide, amplify fresh, engaging voices with practical strategies to create transformative change. Learn more in our show notes at jethrojones.com slash podcast. During COVID, every teacher is a new teacher. That's why innovative school leaders are turning to TeachFX, whose professional learning platform doubles student engagement online or in person. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com slash transformative principle. So in that situation, what do, what do you do? What do you tell a boy like that when he's when he's struggling and feels like he doesn't belong in the group that he's in? And in my case, he was white, but but that extends to kids who who look different or who are black or whatever the case may be. What do we tell those kids who feel like they don't belong, and how do we help them belong? Well, that is a, a great question and a great story because that does happen and you brought up a good point. It's not all, there are cases where the, the majority are the minority, <laughs> you know, in certain situations. But like you said, belonging. Um, I had to learn this lesson because I am a content person. My background is mathematics, all things STEM. I think you should learn it. <laughs> um, and I would teach from that, that perspective. But then I had to learn like nothing is going to come across to anyone unless that relationship is there. So a sense of belonging is I had to learn it even when I taught in K-12 schools and then transitioning to higher ed and even working with adults and workshops. Before I started any content, we set 
like norms or ground rules that either we come up with as a group or we or um, we use some that are best practices. And I like to use the ones from um, Valencia College as the 13 principles of how we treat each other. And it's a list of 13 of them. And what I did, I went through every class, every single time we met and had someone read those principles until they um, became like the culture in the classroom. So we had common ground. Now you don't have to use those, but just some set of common norms. And the second thing is start finding um, outside of the norms, show how much we are alike than we are different. Start having conversations, just open discussion. And it took me a while to learn that because I said, okay, we're learning content. You need to learn this math, <laughs> you know, or whatever the case may be. But hey, how's your day? How was home? Or what did you do this weekend? And even adults like that, believe it or not. But just having those conversations so that people can hear, oh, and this is this is a true story, but it's something so simple. I had students who didn't realize that they, uh, one culture ate ice cream like the other culture. And I was like, whoa, are you serious? But for them, it was like, wait, you too? And they bonded over ice cream. I was like, okay, I wasn't expecting that, but if it works, it works. And just having those conversations, I think a lot of times, especially as educators, we do want to cover the content. There's so much time making sure the students, we connect with the students, but we don't make sure that the students are connecting with each other. So having those um, ground rules and then those conversations, like starter questions and not giving up because students, don't like to talk. If they're not used to talking to different groups of people, it could be like crickets for a long time. <laughs> but as the leader or the teacher or facilitator, you know your common goal. And you want to start those um, conversations, even with sentence structures. Like you say, you taught English, you know about um, sentence stems and, <laughs> and starting points. So bringing that into the conversation because we want to model, but then also guide and scaffold like we do our content. Yeah. So, you know, with these kids in that class that I was talking about, we need to learn English. And so, you know, we, I wanted to start with poetry because I like poetry. I'm not very good at it myself, but I wanted to start there. And I asked the kids what kind of poetry they knew and nobody knew any kind of poetry. And it was a totally foreign concept to them. And again, like we're just starting out the school year. So they don't know me. I don't know them. It's my first year teaching. And, and I actually did what, what you are talking about, which is that we started just talking and getting to know each other outside of just, you know, whatever I said we needed to do. So I pull out our anthology of literature, you know, which is not going to be very good despite our best efforts, regardless of who you are, to be honest. I don't think that that anthology was very good. And we started reading some of the poetry and uh, the kids were just bored out of their minds. And so then I asked him, well, what kind of music do you like? And said, basically, music is poetry, but you sing it instead of just say it. And they were like, what? That's not true. <laughs> You're making that up. So then we, I just had them bring in music that they, that they liked and thought was good. And then we would listen to it. And then we would talk about how it was poetic. And I'd find the lyrics and we'd read the lyrics as they were doing it. Some of those things were not appropriate for school, but... You know, I tried to make my best judgment when that happened. But what I saw was that these kids who were who were diverse themselves started relating to each other, like you said, bonding over things that I didn't think that they would bond over and found the commonalities that that existed 
that they that they would not have known otherwise. And so that that advice to to talk about things and to you know have those thirteen rules for how we treat each other, those things are really really important, and they do go a long way. And you're right, you just can't give up. And it's easy to give up, but I think people give up too soon. And what would you say are the reasons why people give up too soon? What are the things you see? It's hard. You know, we don't want to be uncomfortable. It is hard. I'm not going to lie. I can't even tell you how many times I had to go through those 13 principles with my class. When I am in a workshop, I can't tell you how many times I have to overlook someone rolling their eyes because they don't want to read it. But I was like, no, we have this common goal. So no, it is hard. We give up because we don't want to be uncomfortable. Two, we also give up because maybe we don't have those resources. Like I don't want to sit here and pretend like I just always come with a, a bag full of tricks. I had to learn like, whoa, let me go outside and find some additional support, you know, to help me in these situations. And sometimes I think people don't know where they can find additional support. So maybe like if they tried the 13 rules and it didn't work, they don't know where to go or have someone to talk with them through the process. That's the, that's the other part. Um, sometimes we stay in silos, especially as educators, or if we do branch out, everyone is like, in, have the same issue. So they're no help. <laughs> so having someone to walk us through a process, uh, we don't have that. So we give up. And then there are some not, uh, again, benefit of the doubt who just said that they wanted to try for the sake of trying, but they have no intentions of seeing change. And, you know, we, we, unfortunately we have those people um, in the education profession as well. But I think those main things, lack of resources and not being uncomfortable and then not having someone to guide us through, those are some of the reasons why we tend to to give up. Yeah, I think that's really insightful. And I think one thing that I would add about giving up is that we often give up just before the, it pays off, you know? And so if we just keep going a little bit longer, there's a good chance that we'll make it to the next level, that we'll have a breakthrough or whatever. And that the reason I bring that up is because that's what it was for me in that class was I was, I was trying to teach them poetry and it wasn't working. And I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to move on to the next piece, which is writing. And, and then I was like, you know, let me just try this. And so I just thought I'd try it. And then we spent a couple more weeks on poetry, but then our next, our next piece was we were going to do some writing and what happened was once they saw that I cared about what they thought about things, then they were much more open with me about writing. And so, you know, you could if you just take it a little bit further, you'll have that opportunity to to learn some more and and don't give up when you get to that point. So, um, so that's my encouragement there. Any any advice to add to that? Well, it's like you said, it's, I had this story until I opened my mouth, but it's the story about the, the guy who was digging. I think it's in Napoleon Hill's book, Think and Grow Rich, I think. He was digging and looking for gold, and he had all this equipment, trying to find it, and then he gave up, and then someone else took his plans and realized that he was only three feet away from the gold had he continued to dig just a few more inches. So you're right, so, um, don't give up because the light is at the end of the tunnel. But you have to have a plan and a vision to know where you want to end up. Because it's one thing to say, keep going, don't give up. And then you're like, well, what is supposed to be that? What's the outcome? So you have to know the outcome. Like you said, your outcome was you wanted the students to understand poetry and lead to writing. 
It's not like you didn't have this this end goal. Um, the other thing I want to bring up, like you said, is it, what you did was um, a form of culturally responsive and sustaining pedagogy and teaching. That I, I feel that that is often overlooked in our curriculum and making connections. So it's one thing to talk about the students and bond with them. That is great. But our ultimate goal is to educate them. So like you said, yes, you talked to them and you had some conversations with them, but then you got back to the content, but made the content relevant for them to get them to um, that high standard that you were expecting. So that is another part is we have to make sure our curriculum is culturally responsive and sustaining for all of the students that we have in our class. If we want to connect them and take it to the level where they're supposed to be achieving. Yeah. And I think we could probably do a whole nother series of podcasts on culturally responsive teaching, which is so important, you know, and I'll just add to that one thing that once we, once we brought the music in and called that poetry, the class totally changed. It was boring, nobody talking, nobody giving any comments to near fistfights talking about what something meant. I mean, it was amazing. So like, it's so rich and so powerful when, when you are being culturally responsive in that way. In closing, the last question I ask everybody is, what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative principal like you? One, think about your, your vision for your life and then how that relates to the vision of your school or district. Do they align? Because a lot of times we show up to work. And the environment that we're in, they do not align, but we don't know why we, we don't want to be there. If your true values and your core line up to the work that you believe that your school or district has, you have, you will, your lives will be different in how you approach situations because now it's not just a job. Now it has purpose and meaning because you are aligned. And if you're not aligned, go, go find another job. <laughs> but the other part is your core values. I think sometimes we don't sit down enough to think about what are our core values in life? What do we value? I did a workshop with a gentleman. He was over in his 40s and he said, oh my gosh, I never sat down to think about what is truly important to me. And he was over 40. And so I say that's important because that's how we honestly make decisions that's how we interact with the people. All of that, believe it or not, is through the lens of our core values. So that is what I would tell a principal to start immediately to sit down, write out a vision for your life, see if it aligns to the vision and mission of your school or district, and then identify your core values and lead your decisions through that lens. Well, make your decisions through that lens. Yeah, that is such great advice. And that uh, anybody who hates their job, your your works values and vision probably do not align with your vision for your life and um you know it I, there's so much i want to say i'll say this one thing there was a teacher who was not aligned with the vision for our school and she was a great teacher but she just wasn't going to cut it in our school and so we helped counsel her out to a different school and i mean she just whoo, took off and it was amazing because that school was aligned with her vision for her life and our school just wasn't. She wasn't bad, she wasn't she wasn't anything negative. Our visions just weren't aligned and we as her assistant principal and principal, we saw it and we said you got to you got to do something else because this is not going to work 
go be a teacher someplace else. Make sure this is your thing. And once she went there, it was it was amazing. And that seeing how that changed and how that happened was so inspiring. So I, that is a really profound thing. And I wanted to take just a second to talk about it because it, it's so important. So I'm glad that you brought that up because if they're not aligned, it's going to be really tough. Well, thank you for uh, agreeing with that. Like I, I do this and sometimes people say, it doesn't matter. And I was like, oh, yes, it does. Oh, yes, it does. Yep. Yeah, so if people want to uh, connect with you, learn more from you, how do they do that? Well, one thing is um, I just created this this free gift because I believe that we are empowered educators and there are a series of things that we need to do to be empowered and to be professionally powerful. So one, the easiest way is to go to drvernitafreegift.com and they can get that. It's an audio of the 21 Elements of Empowered Educators. And on my socials, I'm Dr. Vernita Glenn White in some form on all social media <laughs> platforms. <laughs> you know, I want them all to be the same, but my name is so long. So it is some variation of Dr. Vernita Glenn White. <laughs> Very good. Well, thank you so much for being part of Transformative Principle. And this has been a great conversation. And I really appreciate you taking the time. Well, thank you, Jethro, for having me. Yes, it was a great conversation as well. Thank you to our valued partner, John Cat Educational. If you are a leader looking to make transformative change by providing yourself and your leaders and teachers with professional development that is research-based and rigorous, yet easy to digest and full of practical strategies, check out the latest publications from John Cat. Visit us.johncatbookshop.com to find information on bulk orders or learn much more in our show notes. You can also use the code TRANSFORMATIVE to save a bundle at us.johncatbookshop.com. School principals across the country are using TeachFX's virtual PD and job-embedded feedback to boost student engagement during COVID. With TeachFX, teachers get eight times more feedback and generate 144% more student engagement on average in a school year with no additional work for school leaders or teachers. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com slash principal. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE.